so my brother was telling me about a church that he visited down uh, south here this, this summer. And he said, Alan, you wouldn't believe this church. He said, it's, it's, it, was just, it was just absolutely electrifying being in there. It was just full of life and full of young families and so on. He said, you, you honestly felt like if you could, you're scared to touch something because it felt like maybe you'd get electrocuted a little bit. He said, just this amazing, amazing church. I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. So I... Of course, looked it up on YouTube and to try and find out what's the secret of this electric church. And when I got there, what I discovered is that during his sermon, the preacher drinks Red Bull. <laughs> I said, Sheena, all these years, I know what the answer is. Drink Red Bull. And I'm preaching. And Sheena said, your camera operators will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I better not hit the Red Bull. But you know, it's kind of an interesting story. I was reading in a business story. It kind of caught my attention because of this whole Red Bull thing. And Red Bull, it's not that old. You know, it really isn't. And so I was reading in this business magazine that they were interviewing one of the first marketers with Red Bull. And they said, you know, how did, how did it become so successful? It broke into this market. It took over and all of these things. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. You start with a really good product that nobody knew they need it. You start with a really good product that nobody knew that they needed. And the article went on to interview the founder, you know, and said, who are you going to sell this to? Well, we're going to create an audience. And, and it talked about how, how Red Bull kind of, a, it, it changed, it, it added a category to the soft drink presentations. And, you know, when I was thinking about that, it really is something of a bit of the, the same challenge that Jesus faced in the events of his life that we're going to look at today, where Jesus is going to offer something that nobody really knew that they needed. In fact, they refused that they needed, and what he needed to do is have them add a whole category to their life, a whole category to the way in which they thought about themselves and their relationship with God and their relationship with the world. Because you see, what Jesus came to offer, which he knew they needed, and he knows that we need is freedom. It was an offer of freedom. Let's take a look at it in chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. To the Jews who have believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, as believers, we, we hear these words of Christ and we kind of celebrate them. We sing songs about them. We're happy about them. We, we talk about it. But for the people of Jesus' day, as we're going to see, they respond, I bet you, to the way that most people in our society, most people that, that we work with, that we live with, that we that do sports with, that we go to school with, much the same way that they would respond we get to go out and we say, hey, Jesus will set you free. And then the answer is, uh, we don't need Jesus to set me free because I'm not bound by anything. What, do I, what are you talking about? Jesus is going to set me free. I've got a great life. You know, a few years ago on our eternal search, for how do we reach out? You know, how do we bring the grace and the goodness and the love and the kindness of God to people's lives? They, I said to the elders, and go and ask the people who work with, why, why wouldn't they come to Jesus? Why wouldn't they come to church? And, and the answer basically came back, because we have a great life and we don't need it. Good for you. Carry on. We don't need that. Well, that's much the same that the Jesus got when he first said this, because there's, there's a rejection of this offer. 
Let's take a look. Pick it up in verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say to us that you shall set us free? So Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. <laughs> if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. Hey, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I've come here from God. I have not come on my own. God has sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. The offer is, hey, if you obey my teaching, if you reside there, then I'm going to set you free. And they're like, oh, what are you talking about? Set me free. We reject your teaching. We reject your offer. And there's several reasons in here as to why they say that they're rejecting their offer. The first one is right off the top. They say, listen, what are you talking about? Set me free. We are not slaves to anyone. He gets their pride up a little bit. We're not slaves to anyone. We are, in fact, Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves. Now, if you think about it, if you know anything about the Bible, it's kind of a crazy talk. I mean, the Jews, they, they'd been kind of slaves to every major power that happened in around there. They'd been slaves in Egypt. Remember, this is all happening in the Feast of Tabernacles. And what was the Feast of Tabernacles celebrating? God's deliverance from his people Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They've been slaves to Philistia, to Assyria, to Babylon, to Greece, to Syria. And even as they're saying this, they could just turn their heads a little bit and you'll see a Roman soldier standing on the corner of the street. And they're like, hey, we've never been slaves to anyone. We have always been free. What do they mean by that? Well, what they're saying is that, listen, there may have been people who've come in here, but we've never accepted their rule. We've never been assimilated into their way of doing things. 
We've always kept our national identity. We have always been who we are, in spite of the world for centuries and now millennia, persecuting and trying to enslave us, trying to destroy us. We have always kept our identity. We have always been free in our inner spirit, no matter what it looks like politically. We have always been free. And he just said, no, you don't understand. The kind of freedom and slavery that I'm talking about is the ultimate freedom, the ultimate slavery. I'm talking about something that is much deeper than political freedom. You see, that's why Jesus never really accepted what they were pushing. What they were pushing Jesus to be is to be a political Messiah, an economic Messiah, a national Messiah, somebody who's going to kind of put the government in place. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm talking about a sound of slavery and a kind of freedom that is much more deeper and much more important than any kind of political or, or economical system. I'm not talking about being that kind of Messiah. I'm saying that you are a slave to sin. A slave to that which separates you from God. And you've come and fallen into it so deeply that even if you don't want to, now you're trapped in it. Now you're stuck there. Now you're enslaved. You see, the kind of slave I'm talking about is it's that it's an evil and enslaving devotion to created things at the expense and worship of the Creator. You've got all kinds of other things that you've made the ruler of your life. All kinds of isms in there. Chauvinism, nationalism, sexism, capitalism, whatever. All these different things. You've made them above me and you have become worshippers of that evil. And that is sin. And you've become enslaved to it. You see, that's the nature of sin, isn't it? So often the stuff that we get caught into and trapped into, it starts off as, as kind of no big deal. As maybe something that's uh, easier. And so we tell a little white lie. But then we don't want to get caught up in that white lie. And so when somebody hits you up, well, you know, then we tell another lie. And then comes another cover-up lie, and then another cover-up lie, and then another cover-up lie. And before we know it, we're in this, this spider's web trap of and living a lie. Because it's something that was just kind of convenient. Or maybe it was something that just seemed kind of enjoyable at the beginning. I remember one time when I was in Bible college, a girl was asking one of the professors, Gary Hatt, about, about this and that and stuff. I think it had to do with sexual stuff. And I remember him saying, ha, nobody said that sin isn't fun. At first... You know, one of the most uh, popular articles by Christianity Today's Leisure Magazine, to this day, is, a, is an article called An Anatomy of Lust. It's anonymous, written by obviously some big name preacher. Starts to talk about, about, you know, looking at magazines, you know, not really, really, not even necessarily pornographic magazines, but then it's a porn and then it's a live show and they end up with escorts. It sucks you in, it entraps me, it binds us up, it starts off as something that's easier. Or something that seems attractive. And before we know it, says Jesus, we're trapped in this life that we're like, how in the world did I get here? And I've set my life up now and my relationships up now that I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I don't know what to do. I've got to somehow... Escape, and so and so they start off by saying, "Hey, you know, we're we're, pri we're not slaves. We're never slaves of anybody. 
Because they were thinking politically, economically. Jesus said, no, I'm talking about the fundamental slavery. Slavery to sin. That was the first reason. They also, they also rejected Jesus' offer because they were deceived. Jesus said, you're following the way of Satan, the liar, the great deceiver. Well, how were they deceived? They were deceived in a bunch of different ways. First of all, they were deceived and counting on their heritage. Their heritage, the fact that they are genetically a child of Abraham. And so we see that in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 through 23. Do you have it up there? This is, this is um, you know, God leading them out, saying to Moses, Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. And so they, they took this, this statement, which Tabernacle celebrated, that, hey, this is God delivering his son. And they're saying, hey, we are children of God. We are the, the seed of Abraham. We are the ones that God shines upon. And we know that we're free because we are these sons of God right back. And Jesus is like, yeah, hey, listen, I understand that you are the descendant. Look at verse 37. It's kind of interesting. He used the word sperma there. That's the term. Hey, I know that you are the sperm of Abraham. I know that genetically you come from that. The problem is, verse 39, you're not his child. Techna. There's a difference between sort of being in this heritage of faith, this family of faith, and being an actual child of God. He said, because you see, while you might be the sperm of Abraham, you are not the child of Abraham because you don't do what Abraham does because what did Abraham do? Abraham believed God and he, God counted it as righteousness. And it's very easy for us to be deceived ourselves. It's so easy to justify ourselves and our actions and our attitudes and our thinking and our ways of being, isn't it? At least it is for me. I always remember Gene Kuykendall when I was young in ministry. He was talking to him one time and he said, Alan, Alan, the easiest person to fool in the world is yourself. That's so true. We've got to gather our justifications for what we do. We've got to decide that, well, you know, I'm a pretty good person and I'll just try a little bit harder and then I'm going to be okay with God. And we count on all kinds of things besides Jesus and we, we, we do our own figurings. We deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves not only in, in our relationship with God, but we, we kind of deceive ourselves even into what freedom is. This whole topic is like freedom, and it, it's hard for us to get our mind around what freedom actually is, because we tend to think that freedom is being at liberty to do whatever we want. Now, to be free is to say, hey, whatever you choose to do, you can go ahead and do it. And when you do what you want to do, no matter what, without any bounds, then that is when you are free. You know, a preacher, Mark Claude, exposed me to, to a quote by a philosopher, Søren Kierkegaard. Sorry, I couldn't find the exact the primary source because it's translation and all this kind of stuff. But Kierkegaard is this, this phenomenal philosopher. And this is what he had to say. He said this. We think that freedom is throwing off all social restraints and doing whatever we want. But that isn't freedom. That's the slavery. Now we're a slave to our feelings, 
our passions, the moment, the culture around us. That's the slavery. That's the slavery. And as we'll see, Jesus has got a whole bunch of different definitions as to what freedom actually is, not just throwing off the restraints, which actually then enslaves us to these things, as Kierkegaard points out. They were deceived. The third reason that they rejected Jesus' offer for freedom was that they were just plain unwilling to accept the truth. Verse 43, you are, why are you unable to hear my words? I'll tell you why. It's because their values and their prejudices made it impossible for them to accept Jesus' teaching. We've seen this before again and again in the Gospel of John where Jesus is saying, listen, the problem is, is your will is against my will and your will is strong. And so when I come against your will, when I come against what you think, when I come against what you see things to be the way they are, then you absolutely just reject them. There is no room for you to take it in. Your heart and your mind is full of your own willful attitudes. And so if I'm going to say something that you disagree with, there's no room for my teaching in your heart because this is the position I'm taking this is the particular ism of which I am a part and if you're going to come against that I can't accept that it doesn't fit with my prejudices my attitudes my beliefs you know when I was going through John a few months ago I was just reading some of my devotional notes as I was praying through John I came to this whole thing and I had my little journal there. How often does my unwillingness to accept teaching show up as an inability to understand? How often do I, do I pretend like or I convince myself I don't really understand what Jesus means here? I don't really understand what the God, word of God means here. I don't really understand how I'm going to apply this, this difficult teaching of Jesus in this particular case. I, don't, I just don't understand how to do it. How often do I use that as an excuse when really the truth is I just don't want to do it? Or I do want to do it and I shouldn't do it. Oh man, it was a convicting thought to me. And this is what Jesus' thing is, hey, I'll tell you why. The reason you're rejecting my offer is because you have a strong will and you are tied into a situation and you are tied into a circumstance and you are tied into a worldview and you are tied into a philosophy. You are tied into some kind of ism. And then all of a sudden, what I have to say goes against that. And so there's no room for that in your life, Alan. So you reject it. And so as I, you think about these barriers that they put up against Jesus' offer for freedom, the, the refusal to believe that there's even any slavery and that we might even need any freedom, the idea that we're deceived and we're even deceived about what freedom truly is, and this stubborn unwillingness to take Jesus' teaching to heart when it disagrees with what I want and what I already think. And yet, if we want freedom, says Jesus, we've got to lay those things aside and follow the path to the freedom which Jesus offers, which is ultimately life. And so what, what is this path to freedom? Well, the first thing is we've got to know what true freedom is. We've got to sort of set aside what our, our society or our background or our experience or whatever, set that aside for a moment to say, okay, you know, what, what, is free, what is this freedom that Jesus is talking about? 
Theologian D.A. Carson put it this way. True freedom is not the liberty to do anything we please, but the liberty to do what we ought. That is what, what God says, that which gives life. And it's genuine liberty because doing what we ought now pleases us. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, listen, if you want to know what freedom is, freedom is the ability to do what we should do. What we should do according to God's word. Well, how is that freedom? That sounds like, that sounds like law a little bit. And, and sometimes, you know, you can sort of take this whole thing about doing what God says. And it can become a legalism. And, and we know we've all been in situations where it just kind of feels legalistic. And it feels like the rules of God just kind of bind me up, not give me freedom. So what God's saying is this, listen, I'm not talking about putting on some ironclad lawsuit that's going to keep you bound up. He said, no, what I'm talking about is that I'm going to come in and I'm going to change your heart. So that your heart is so transformed that you're going to want to do what God says is life. And you're going to want to be whom God says he wants you to be. And you're going to find great joy in it. And so responding to God's grace, responding to God's commands, responding to God's worldview becomes that which gives us joy and celebration. Not something that we resent and found ourselves bound up by. Ray Stebbins, he says it in easy ways to preach so he says it a little easy. He says this, look, it's being free to be all you're meant to be. That's what Jesus is offering. He says, if you don't don't have my freedom, you're going to be less than what God created you to be. You're going to experience less. You're going to have less joy. You're going to have less life. Your relationships are going to be poorer. You're not going to get all that God has for you, and you're not going to be all that God designed you to be. So we've got to figure out what freedom is, and that freedom is life in Christ, life in God. So how do we get there? Well, verses 31 and 32. Let's just read it again real quick, just to remind us. Here's the path, and then we're going to unfold it. If you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, do you see this pathway there that we've got going here? It starts off with basic belief. Because Jesus said, Jesus said to those who believed. And if you remember from last week, it ended in verse 30 with, uh, you know, some people disagreed with Jesus, but some people believed in Jesus. They believed. They had this basic belief that Jesus was somehow from God, that Jesus somehow had something to offer, and that in some way Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, it's just this general sense. It wasn't defined all that well, but it was like, man, this guy is something different. And he's offering some things that we want. The problem is, they were like flashing the pan believers. In the moment of their life, in that particular time, with the debate that they were having, with the words that Jesus had, they said, yeah, you know, I kind of want that. Jesus said, listen, I am the light of life. I'm going to bring life to you. Oh, I want life. And listen, this whole idea that we could stand before God and he would say, hey, I don't, I don't condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. Man, we want that. And so, and so to grasp that, they, they had this belief. The problem is what Jesus goes on to say is, man, you know what? You, you need more than that. If you're going to have the freedom of life that I want to offer you, You've got to be more than a flash-in-the-pan believer who just wants to grab onto the particular promise that Jesus has for you because you're in a bit of a mess right now. 
It might get you a little bit out of that mess, but you're not going to have the freedom that I ultimately want to give you. You need to move on. You need to move from being this sort of basic believer into being a disciple. And the difference between being sort of somebody who just kind of believes and flashing the hand, yeah, I'll take that from Jesus, but not that. The difference between that kind of believer and a disciple or a follower is the determination to hold Jesus' teaching or to abide in my teaching. Some of your translations will have that, to live in my teaching. This is the definition of a disciple. This is the definition of a follower of Jesus, somebody who lives in his teaching, somebody who holds on to his teaching, somebody who takes whatever it is that Jesus says and makes that the rule for their life. They had fickle faith, but they believed in Jesus. Until their beliefs and prejudices clashed with his teachings. And then all of a sudden they say, yeah, we believe in Jesus. And then Jesus says, okay, let me give you a teaching that, you know, kind of clashes with who you think you are and how you should be living. As soon as that happens, boom, reject it. Reject the offer, reject Jesus. Because it doesn't fit with how I see myself. What I think about the world and my relationship with God. And so we reject it. We see this so often, you know, in the last few years you hear a lot about people deconstructing their faith. I don't really understand that. I think, you know, our faith needs to be constantly renovated. That's called growth, you know. We learn more about God, we learn more about his word, and so hopefully none of us have exactly the same faith today as we had 10 years ago. Hopefully we've grown in that. But, but so often in this deconstruction, if you, if you take a look at what's going on, what happens is, is that uh, the teachings of Jesus in the Word clash with how they experience life or how their friends experience life or how they're afraid their children would experience life. And they're like, no, I'm out. Of course, most don't say, you know, I reject Jesus. Most of it comes to, I reject the church and the church. But we talked about that a couple of weeks ago with Tom Wright and stuff. But it's this whole thing about Jesus saying, listen, you need to understand something. There's, there's this kind of belief in me that I'm a good guy, that I may be from God, that I may be the most significant figure in history, that I maybe got some things to offer you. But you've got to understand, sooner or later, my teachings are going to come in opposition to your thoughts, to your will to how you are experiencing life, to how maybe even you want them to be. And it's at that point you decide whether or not you're going to be my disciple. We've got to understand the importance of Jesus' teaching, which is the scriptures. That's where we have Jesus' teaching, the Bible, all through it. You know, the great African theologian, Augustine, he said this, I thought it was a great quote. For now, that is before Jesus comes, For now, treat the scriptures of God as the face of God and melt in his presence. You see what he's saying? He's saying that, listen, the way in which we know Jesus, the way in which we know God is that he has revealed himself in the scriptures. And so what we need to do is we need to come to the teachings of Jesus. We need to come to the scriptures and we melt in his presence. We give up all of these rejections. We give up all of that, uh, our prejudices, and we melt. We submit in the presence and in the face of what the scriptures teach because 
That's Jesus' teaching. That's Jesus' teaching. And this whole deal is that Jesus is talking about obeying and living out my teachings. That what you need to have is a trusting obedience that is lived, not simply considered, as one writer whose name I forgot to put down. And it's so easy to get trapped into thinking that, you know what, what we need to do is we need to consider the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus said, no, 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 I'm not talking about just thinking about what I'm teaching. What I'm saying is if you want freedom, if you want life, if you truly are my disciple, then you need to live my teaching out in your daily life, in your relationships, in your businesses, in your learnings, in your neighborhoods, in your sporting events, in your families. It's not just something to think about. To hold on to, to abide in Jesus' teaching is to live them out. Henry Blackaby, he's got some great stuff in this whole experience of God. We used to look at that quite a bit in the church. He says, look, at this point when we encounter the teaching of Jesus, and it clashes with what I want, what I think, what the world says, what I'm afraid of, when it clashes, that's a crisis of faith. And in that crisis of faith, that crisis of the moment, We've got a decision to make. And whether or not we are obedient to that is a moment of truth. It's going to, first of all, what we really believe about Jesus. Do I really believe that Jesus is trustworthy? Do I really believe that his words and his way are the right way and will eventually show themselves to be the right way. Even though all of the evidence seems to go in the opposite direction. Even though all my friends are going in the opposite direction. Even though all of the, the, the social environment goes in the opposite direction. Do I trust Jesus' words? That, well, you know what? I don't necessarily understand the hows and the whys and the whats of it. I'm trying to figure it out. But in the meantime, I'm going to go along with this because it's trustworthy. Or more fundamentally, it reveals whether or not Jesus is truly the Lord of my life. It determines whether or not I'm one of these flash-in-the-pan believers who will just kind of grab like these guys did. Oh, yeah, you know, I'll believe that about Jesus. I'll believe about that about Jesus. I want to stand before God and not be condemned. Or am I a disciple who dwells in his teaching, who melts in the face of his expectations and his grace and lives them out? It determines whether or not we will experience God working through us. I really liked what Irene said on, on last Sunday at the Jesus in the Park. And Irene was talking about how it's kind of a scary thing setting this thing up. And she said, you know, but I had to come to this decision where God says, look, Irene, if you do uh, your part, then I can do my part. And, and I'll do my part. I'll, I'll work through it. But if you don't do your part, I, I can't do my part. It's so true. If, if, if I'm not going to be obedient to Jesus' teaching, if I'm not going to start to live it out, I will never know. I will never know what God was going to do. And Blackie says, yeah, whether or not you obey, that depends on your ex whether or not you're going to experience God working in ways that you don't expect him to work. And Blackie thirdly says, it determines whether or not you're going to know God intimately. My obedience is related to how intimately I'm going to know God. Because otherwise he's held at a distance from me. But as I'm obedient to his teaching, I begin to experience him and know him more fully as I melt in the face of the scriptures. Fourth thing 
the fourth kind of step or whatever is then Jesus says, yeah, you know what, you know, you believe in me, and if you hold to my teaching, then you are going to know the truth. And we have to notice here is this connection between Jesus' teaching and the truth. When we obey Jesus' teaching, then we will come to know that what Jesus teaches is actually true. We'll begin to experience life as, as Jesus wants us to experience life. In a very real sense, we'll begin to see things as Jesus sees them because we're living in his word. We're living in his way. And we begin to experience life and see life through the eyes that Jesus gives us through his truth. And we begin to recognize the lies of the world that can constantly bombard us and put us into bondage. When we've lived out the truth, and Jesus says, then you will be living in freedom. This is so important. It's in living out the truth. It's in living in obedience to Jesus' teaching. That's what leads me to true freedom. The thing is, our society has, has, has all this pressure to absolutely turn that teaching up on its head. What we're told in our society are, are cultural moment as God warns us against. What, what our society is saying right now is, oh, let me tell you what Jesus says, if you know the truth then you'll become free. What we've turned that around to say is that, listen, hey, 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 when you feel free, when you feel like you're living as you should live, when you feel like you're doing what you should do, when you feel free then that's the truth. You see the difference? What Jesus is saying is that, listen, if you want to know the truth that leads to freedom, it comes from outside of yourself, Alan. It comes from God himself. It comes through the person of Jesus. It comes through his word. This is this outside, objective truth. Here is the truth. And if you live this truth, then you will be free. But our society says the opposite. Hey, Alan, when you feel good, that's when you're free. So that's, that's got to be the truth. It comes from inside of you. You want to know the truth? You want to be free? Look inside and that becomes your truth because after all there is no objective truth. The opposite to what Jesus says. And this is a huge decision in very practical terms that we all have to face every day. Are the scriptures the face of God before we were to melt or are we like these Jews to whom Jesus spoke who said we're already free because my feelings, my prejudices, my culture, my desires say that I'm free. It's a huge decision. And it will lead us to very, very different places. Very different places. And Jesus comes and says, listen, when the sun sets you free, then you're free indeed. That's the true freedom. You're free from sin and the slavery to sin. Paul tells us in Galatians, hey, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You'll be free from those things that entrap you. You'll be free from death. You'll be free from the whims of the moment and the change of society. It doesn't take very long. You don't have to live very long. 60 years is good enough to know that society changes all the time is to determine what is right and what is good and what is wrong and what is evil and what is the greatest good and what is the greatest evil. 
Jesus frees us from the whims of the moment and of society. It frees us from the tyranny of our feelings about ourselves, about the world, about our circumstances. And he gives us this other view and says, no, no, this is actually how things are. It frees us about, from the lies of the enemy about our identity, our destiny, our worth, our purpose. Freedom. You know, I got done writing this as well as all the stuff left on the cutting room floor because there's so much in this passage I thought oh man if this stuff is true and this is some of the hardest teaching in the entire gospel of John Because it, it challenges me so much. Do I just believe until Jesus' words clash with what I think or what the world tells me or what I'm afraid of or what I've experienced? Now, so am I one of those flashing pan believers or am I a disciple who lives in obedience to Jesus' teaching even when it seems really weird and doesn't necessarily feel good? Do I really understand that I'm a slave to somebody? I'm either a slave to sin or I'm a slave to Jesus. Do I really believe that? Do I really understand what, what freedom is? And do I really understand the kind of freedom that Jesus cares most about and, and where Jesus, the freedom that Jesus wants us to put most of our energy and our time and our talking and our bullet points about? Am I really most worried about the kind of freedom that Jesus talks about or the kind of freedom that I'm kind of going to cook up myself? What really is the truth? And where do my feelings fit into this and my experience feel into this? And how willing am I to receive Jesus' truth where I don't like it? comes down to 31 and 32. If you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciple. Then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And we end up where we always end up in the Gospel of John, this court case. Do you believe it? Or not? Because every day, We'll face that moment of truth. Almighty God, uh, we live in a, a marvelous country, a tremendous place. We have great lives, and, and, um, and, and freedom's important to us. And we don't, you know, we don't like anyone impinging on our freedoms, whether it's a, a teacher in the classroom, or government, or a neighborhood, or a condo association, or the elders of the church, or whatever. Because, uh, Lord, you know, I think for most of us, being free means we get to do whatever we want. And there's some truth to that, I guess. But your concern is of a much deeper freedom. And the only way to that freedom is by dwelling in, holding to, abiding in your truth, Jesus. 
to transfer from this sort of flash in the pan, believe it, to deep, obedient trust. Not just, you know, about, oh, yeah, you're going to believe in Jesus, under God, you get to go to heaven. No, no, this, you're talking about daily life. You're talking about standing against the pressures of our society. You're talking about being willing to lay down how I wish things were, how I think things should be, some particular ism that I've bought into, which I've maybe even gained from, and to understand that sooner or later it's going to clash because you are the truth. And you've revealed yourself, your truth, and your word. So, Lord, help us to, to take these things seriously this morning. Help me to take these things seriously. So that I will follow you, be a disciple, and you will set me free. We thank you for that, Jesus. Amen.